Good morning, Brew Daily Show. I'm Neil Fryman. And I'm Toby Howell. Today, the Golden Globes kicked off award season, but just like Billie Eilish, it's wondering, what was I made for? Then, why did a gaping hole appear in a recent Alaska air flight? And what the heck is going on with Boeing? It's Monday, January 8th. Let's ride. A lot happened this weekend, but nothing was more bizarre than a man in Alabama who crashed his car outside a Bass Pro Shop, took off his clothes, and then cannonballed into the giant aquarium inside the store, after which he was promptly arrested. Toby, did you see this? Yes, I saw it, and I wish I could unsee it. But you know what? Bass Pro Shop is what America was meant to be. Camo, fishing, naked drunk dudes. There we are in a nutshell. But seriously, if you have not seen this, please, this is your final warning. Do not Google it. Just don't. Before we cannonball into the show, we have a quick word from our sponsor, Veeam. Neil, I want you to think about the early days at the brew. Okay, the WeWork days. I'm there. Imagine how disruptive a cyber attack would have been back then. No amount of free cold brew could have saved us if something bad happened to our data. I can tell you that. Exactly. And that's why Veeam is so clutch. It has multi-layered protection that keeps your data secure and your business running. And it works for enterprise-sized businesses, too. So even if you're not in a WeWork pounding cold brew... You should check out Veeam. Ah, the good old days. Head to veeam.com today to discover more. That's V-E-E-A-M.com today. Our top story of the day will blow your doors off, but not in a good way. This weekend, a clip started circulating online of an Alaska Airlines flight that had to make an emergency landing shortly after takeoff because a door plug popped off while the plane was in the air. No one was seriously injured on the 177-person flight, but the videos documenting the gaping hole in the aircraft were surreal to say the least. Once again, it's a familiar aircraft at the center of the latest controversy, the Boeing 737 MAX. The day after the accident happened, the FAA ordered the ground of all 171 Boeing 737 MAX planes with the same door part, and the National Transportation Safety Board has just begun its investigation into the causes of the breach. One major win, the door plug has been found in the backyard of a Portland, Oregon area teacher, which should help determine the cause of the failure. Neil, what is going on with Boeing? Remember, two crashes involving an earlier version of the MAX killed 346 people back in 2018 and 2019, and now we have doors blowing off mid flight. This looks like a company that has fostered a culture that puts profits ahead of safety concerns. That is the big question, but to me, the first thing I thought of was this could have been so much worse. This plane was still climbing. It was at an altitude of 16,000 feet, which is still very high, but not at a cruising altitude of 38,000. People probably still had their seatbelts on. So if this happened at cruising altitude, it's likely that Uh, people would not have made it out okay. Meanwhile, this is a door, this is a plug for the emergency exit. And when Boeing sells this plane to airlines, airlines have the choice to put more seats in that row with an emergency exit. Alaska decided not to, so there was nobody sitting right where this door blew off. So it's just a matter of luck that no one got hurt. I just can't even imagine what it was like being on this plane. This is your worst nightmare. When you get on a plane, you're like, the one thing I don't want to happen is for the windows to be rolled down. Yeah, no, absolutely. The crazy part that I've seen too is that the two people that were supposed to be sitting closest to where the door blew out 
didn't make their flight. They missed their flight for whatever reason. So there's this theory going around online right now. It's called the burnt toast theory, which is that minor inconveniences in your life, like burning your toast, are actually potentially protecting you from a worse situation. So someone commented who said, I was supposed to be sitting on that flight. She said, that's exactly what happened to me. Something inconvenience happened in my life. I missed my flight, and now I'm so thankful for it. That is wild. But let's talk about Boeing. So Boeing stock is down 8% this morning. It has had a lot of problems. You mentioned the 737 MAX 8. There were two fatal crashes back in 2018 and 2019 that killed hundreds of people. They had That led to a global grounding of that entire of that entire aircraft, uh, and it cost Boeing $20 billion. It, this new CEO came in, Dave Calhoun, in 2020. He's tried to make amends. He's tried to change the culture at Boeing, but there still have been production snags in this latest incident. We don't know whether it's a Boeing problem or a Boeing supplier problem or what happened, if it was just, you know, if it was just related to this one particular aircraft or the entire aircraft. So we'll see what happens, but it definitely shines a harsh spotlight on Boeing just when it tried to turn itself around and change its culture. Yeah, Boeing Boeing's in this rock in a hard place right now because they're in this process of rebuilding trust, which is a very long process, obviously. But they're also under pressure to ramp up their production and deliver more 737s because, remember, the airline industry is back and booming right now. So Boeing simultaneously has to ensure and win back trust while also meeting demand, which is only growing right now. Crazy stat about the 737 MAX. This was a 737 MAX 9, and the ones that crashed a few years ago were MAX 8. But this is Boeing's best-selling plane in history. 76% of its entire order book is 737 MAXs. And when you look at the entire planes being flown this month, 5% of them all will be 737 MAXs. So this this plane is like the the Toyota Camry of of the skies. And now for something completely different. The Golden Globes were back last night to kick off Hollywood's award season. In their first showdown since the summer 2023 box office, Oppenheimer bested Barbie with five awards, including Best Drama, to two. Lily Gladstone became the first indigenous person to win Best Actress in a dramatic film for her role in Killers of the Flower Moon, and she began her speech in the language of Blackfeet Nation, her native tribe. On the TV side, Succession was the big winner, while everyone's favorite emotionally scarred Chicago chefs in The Bear took home three awards. But the most talked about clip of the whole night was probably the death stare Taylor Swift gave host Joe Coy after his joke about her attending NFL games fell flat. His entire monologue was pretty painful, which he blamed on his writers and the fact that he was only asked to host the show 10 days ago. Still, the Golden Globes happened, and that's somewhat of an achievement since it wasn't clear whether this show would even exist two years ago. Yeah, remember, the Golden Globes almost went extinct two years ago. The LA Times had this big investigation that painted the organization as this highfalutin place that required studios to kind of wine and dine voters at five-star hotels, but then they also found out there wasn't a single Black voter admits the 87-person Hollywood foreign press. NBC refused to air the ceremony that year. And then 2023, the Globes were back, but record low ratings. Twenty, They were down 26% from the year before. And then also, uh, the this show marked the first time that the, the show is back since the Hollywood Foreign Press was disbanded right. um, kind of quietly. They sold to a private equity firm as well as Dick Clark Productions. Now it's got a new voting system, much more international members, 300 international members to, uh, representing 76 countries. So 
it's a new look Golden Globes. They invite a lot more celebrities. Right. Taylor Swift was there, but again, I feel like it's hard to overcome like a, a stodgy bad monologue, which is what we got yeah. last night. If you're a private equity firm, do you look at the Golden Globes and look like this is an interesting asset that I would actually like to buy that could increase in value? Maybe so because it is maybe a, a distressed asset, as they would say, just something that's so down in the dumps. But I think there's so much money and influence behind these award shows that I don't think they're going to stay down forever. I mean media companies, studios, streamers like Netflix and Apple all have a very much a vested interest in having these award shows be big things. I mean, every year media companies spend $300 million on billboards on these award shows. So I think there's just too much money behind it for these things to go away. There's always going to be someone to to push it forward. So I don't think I think the I think these award shows may come out of zombie mode. Yeah, and I think the new categories they introduced this year were really smart. They introduced the Cinematic and Box Office Achievement Award. It means they they picked eight films that have reached at least $150 million at the box office against each other. So it's the John Wicks, the Barbies, the Taylor Swift heiress tours of the world. These are the movies that people actually see, which has always been the knock on award shows, is that they're a little disconnected from reality. So I think that's a good award to add. Barbie ended up winning that award. And then also the best performance in a stand-up comedy on television. Very much like finger on the pole, sight guy see categories, which I think are going to help um, them be relevant to, to normal people. Yeah, but just to get people to watch you still need a good production. You need you need uh, moments that will go viral on TikTok. And the only one we had maybe last night was the Taylor Swift one. And Will Ferrell also made a joke about the sushi that was served. But I think for for award shows like the Oscars and the Golden Globes and the Emmys to be relevant in this day and age, it needs to have it needs to have memeable TikTok centric moments. And I'm not sure last night had it. I mean, a death stare from Taylor Swift. You don't, you don't survive that, that. That's scary. The White House held a last-minute meeting to discuss potentially delaying a private mission to the moon, but it wasn't because of an Elon tweet or something Jeff Bezos said on a podcast. This launch was called into question because Navajo Nation, the U.S.'s largest Native American tribe, had some misgivings. The mission, named Paragon Mission 1, is a private commercial venture from Pittsburgh-based Astrobotic, and if successful, would mark the first American-made spacecraft landing on the lunar surface since the end of the Apollo program in 1972. Along with various science experiments, the mission is carrying human ashes from private companies specializing in moon burials called Celestis and Elysium Space, and therein lies the issue for the Navajo. According to Navajo Nation President Boo Nigren, the moon holds a sacred place in Navajo cosmology, and quote, the suggestion of transforming it into a resting place for human remains is deeply disturbing and unacceptable to our people. It also raises the question, who controls the moon? Technically, the FAA clears all domestic launches in the U.S., but their jurisdiction obviously remains on U.S. soil. Celestis's CEO thinks no one and no one religion owns the moon. And, quote, if the beliefs of the world's multitude of religions were considered, it's quite likely that no missions would ever be approved. Neil, the mission took off early this morning, so it's already streaking towards its destination. But NASA's increasing reliance on private sector partners to launch payloads to space is only going to cause more of these issues to pop up. 
Totally. I mean, NASA is now basically just a paying customer. It has a uh, few scientific instruments on on this flight going to the moon. And it, and it told Navajo Nation, he's like, look, I understand your concerns, but we don't have jurisdiction here. This is just a private company sending something to the moon. And it did acknowledge that these controversies could come up as it offloads more of its space flights to the private sector. This is also a big moment for Vulcan, which is the rocket that took all this stuff to the moon. That is, this is the result of a partnership, a company called the United Launch Alliance, and that's a partnership between Boeing and Lockheed, and they've been so far behind SpaceX. So this is a big moment for them to uh, to get their rocket, their new rocket, more more commercialized. So this is just a lot going on right. in this in this moon <laughs> specific mission. Ashes, Navajo Nation criticism, big moment for big moment for NASA's commercialization push. It's just, and ULA. Yeah, it's just such a new industry. So even though now it's Navajo Nation that has an issue with lunar mission, it may very well be some other group in a few years. Um, also, this is the second time a U.S. spacecraft has gone to the moon with human remains on board. The last one was in 1998, where NASA actually intentionally crashed a spacecraft into the moon that had the ashes of a famous planetary geologist. And at that time, officials from Navajo Nation objected as well to it. And so I think this time around, they're like, listen, we already went through right. this over 20 years ago, and you're telling us that you scheduled another mission with human ashes without kind of talking to us first. So I think that was where the major disconnect was. And as you said, these problems are only going to get more common as more of these missions are launched. All right, Neil, before we jump into the next half of our show, we're going to take a quick break. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Isn't the point of traveling to get away from it all? To feel the best you've ever felt? Then maybe you should check out Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. When your trip comes to an end, you won't need another vacation. Because you just had the vacation. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Welcome to Winners of the Weekend, where Toby and I choose two things that had as much fun this weekend as the naked guy who cannonballed into the Bass Pro Shop Aquarium. I won the pre-show Connect Four game, so I will go first. My winner of the weekend was dating apps, because yesterday, the first Sunday of the year, is widely recognized as the busiest day of the year for swiping. Tinder says that messages typically jump 22%, likes increase 18%, and the average response time is 19.4 minutes faster than an average Sunday. But why? Why this particular day? Here are a few hypotheses. First is that people making dating resolutions every year, every New Year. So the first Sunday is the day you can actually act on those goals. Many singles are also coming right off a holiday break with your family, who is not shy about asking you why your little brother has a girlfriend and you don't. 
It's cold, enough said. And finally, Valentine's Day is coming up in just over a month, and the thought of a nice romantic dinner may light a fire under your butt to get swiping. So all these factors may conspire to make the first Sunday of the year the Super Bowl for dating apps. It's so interesting because I guess you give people a chance to reflect on what's missing in their lives, and that makes them spend more time on the dating apps. I would have thought it almost would have been the opposite, where you kind of take stock and say, all right, maybe these are not the place where I'm going to find the love of my life, but maybe you're just it's, it's the only place season. these days for many people. I mean, also, I think the winter has a lot to do with mm-hmm. it. In general, January and February are the most are the busiest months of the year for dating apps. I will just say these apps need to figure their stuff out because they're not making money. I mean, Bumble, the uh, Whitney Wolf Heard who founded Bumble, left the company last year. The stock is down 81% since it went public. So, and then Tinder is trying to make money any way it can. It just released a $499 a month subscription to its top 1% of power users. So these these companies are scrambling. They can't seem to capitalize on all the traffic on their apps. They just need it to be cold out all the time, and then people will keep swiping. My winner of the weekend is the great American sport of football. Sportigo came out with a report that found the NFL made up 93 of the top 100 broadcast programs last year based on Nielsen ratings. It's further proof that in the age of streaming, the only thing that can consistently drive eyeballs is live sports, especially live sports where people are hitting each other really hard. Other news that showed football is still king, god, emperor, all in one. ESPN's 2023 Monday night football season was its most watched ever, and Amazon's NFL Thursday night broadcasts were up 24% year over year. What's crazy, though, is that live TV might be on the comeback trail as a whole. Dick Clark's New Year's Rockin' Eve, hosted by Ryan Seacrest, was up 35% in primetime um, on ABC, technically last year. And the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade drew a record 28.5 million viewers. Is live TV back? Did football save live TV? <laughs> Foot, well, you're asking two questions. Is, <laughs> is football dominating? With the answer is yes. And are these legacy institutions like the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, the award shows that we talked about, Dick Clark's New Year's Eve, which is now Ryan Seacrest's show, are those coming back in, in a significant way? It's tough to say whether this is a blip on the radar or maybe a long-term trend back up. But the question to me is, will the NFL ever get to 100 out of 100 of the top TV broadcasts? This year may be tough because what we saw was the, the top highest-rated show broadcast that was not the NFL was the State of the Union. And when you hear 2024, you hear presidential election. So it's likely that some of the debates or some of the network coverage of the elections might take some spots away from the NFL. But this is just a huge growth. I mean, it was just five years ago, the NFL accounted for 61 of the top 100. So it's only increased its hegemony in just the past five years. Yeah, it will be very interesting in an election year to see how many of those debates or whatnot steal spots. If I'm another sport, though, I'm feeling a little nervous, though, because you can't even crack the top 100, like golf, tennis, all these other sports that are trying to side in these these big television deals as well, and you're not even in the top 100. It's the NBA sort of- was the, the most, the highest watched NBA broadcast was 100 and 20 game five of the finals and then the world series was 140 game five of the world series so you know maybe the maybe it's kind of like golf like you have to handicap yourself against yourself right you just (laughs) you can't i'm not going to compete against you when i play golf i'm going to compete against myself so when you talk about basketball uh baseball, all the other sports, they just know that they're in a different league than the NFL and they just have to compete about the, compete with themselves and make sure they're growing year over year. You'll beat me, Neil. One of these days, you'll get me. Remember the kid who would always do some shady deals at the lunch table in middle school? 
Well, that kid grew up to be the art dealer Yves Bouvier, at least according to Russian billionaire Dmitry Rybolovlev. Dmitry is taking the fine art auction house Sotheby's to court, saying they have been working with Bouvier to secretly mark up the prices of some of the most famous art pieces in the world. The suit alleges that Bouvier has pretended to be negotiating deals on Dmitry's behalf, when in reality he was act actually acting as a dealer and inflating the prices of the pieces he was the owner of by tens of millions of dollars. One example of this, Bouvier bought a 500-year-old Da Vinci painting for $83 million for some dealer who worked with Sotheby's before turning right around and reselling it to Rybolovlev for $127 million shortly after. And according to Rybolovlev, this happened a lot. He accused Bouvier of defrauding him in the purchase of 38 works, 12 of which were bought in sales arranged by Sotheby's. So the question is... Is Bouvier just a really bad dealer, or did he work with the fine art auction houses like Sotheby's to commit fraud? We're about to get a court case to find out. Yeah, they're calling this the granddaddy of all art cases because of the masterpieces of the works involved. I mean, there's four art pieces at the center of this case. One of them is this Da Vinci Salvatore Mundi, which is the highest price, most expensive artwork ever sold at auction. You said you mentioned that uh, Dimitri paid a hundred and. $27 million for this painting. Well, guess what? He sold it right around to a Saudi prince for $450 million. And why they're calling this the granddaddy of all is because this is going to shed a light on the very secretive, very shady world of art dealers at the highest level. No one knows what happens in these transactions. It's such an illiquid market. It's so mysterious. Everything happens behind closed doors. And the fact that you're going to get a trial over this in Manhattan with Dimitri Bouvier is not going to be testifying, but you have people from Sotheby's testifying. You're going to really get a light shined on what happens with these back secret deals where money is over $100 million are exchanged for a, a, an oil painting on canvas. Yeah, it, it makes me want to ask the question, how can you be overcharged on something like art? If he had bought the pictures for the same price at auction, he wouldn't be saying that he feels defrauded or he feels like he overpaid because, again, art is worth whatever you pay for it, right? And so how can you really say that you've been defrauded out of uh, being paid for something that is uh, inherently worth whatever you pay for it? And I do think you mentioned uh, the Da Vinci painting that sold for $450 million. He's trying to say that he got... Uh, screwed by Bouvier because he bought it for $87 million, then bought it back for $127 million. But then when he put it up for auction, right. it sold for $450 million. So who was really getting screwed there? Like You maybe got a great deal on it. So it's all opaque. And as you, you said, this has a ton of intrigue because not only is it a court case about the high art world, but we're also getting a Russian right. oligarch in a U.S. courtroom, which does not happen maybe very often, but potentially ever. So tons of intrigue around this. Yeah, except the judge ruled that they can't call him an oligarch in the trial because that was demeaning. I was wondering what does make you an oligarch? Uh, is there like a certain threshold of wealth or is there a certain threshold of like what industry you, you get in? I, I, I well, he is a fertilizer baron. Mm -hmm. That's kind of interesting. Okay, let's preview the week ahead, which is meaty a lot to chew on. First up, the crypto equivalent of a new Rihanna album, the first spot Bitcoin ETF, could be approved by regulators this week in what would be a watershed moment for Wall Street's embrace of digital tokens. The hype around these funds, which would allow regular investors to gain exposure to Bitcoin without buying it directly, has driven Bitcoin's price 
162% higher over the past year, and that approval by regulators could come in a matter of days. Wall Street is pumped. People who love Bitcoin are pumped. But I think I'd rather get the Rihanna album, honestly, Neil. All right. The world's biggest consumer electronics conference, CES, starts tomorrow in Vegas. If you have a gadget that doesn't include AI, well... You may as well just not show up. Dozens of companies are planning to unveil new products that incorporate AI, from cars to PCs and smartphones, and probably a bunch of other weird stuff you see every year at CES, like vacuum shoes and toilet paper robots. What you won't see at CES, Apple, which has snubbed the event for years, and OpenAI's Sam Altman, who was credited with kicking off the AI craze. I'm pretty excited for CES this year. Remember, the only real AI buzzy hardware we've gotten so far is that pin from Humane, which has kind of fallen short of expectations. So hopefully we see something that gets us more excited for this new age of hardware in, in AI. Also today, Congress is back in session after its holiday break, and it faces a familiar problem, agreeing to a spending bill to avoid a government shutdown on January 20th. This historically unproductive group of lawmakers, which we've talked about, will have to resolve contentious issues of border security and foreign aid. But leaders took a big step yesterday toward preventing a shutdown by striking an agreement to set top-line spending for 2024 at $1.6 trillion. So there is optimism, even as things get more complicated with the nomination contest for president kicking off. Yeah, maybe new Speaker of the House Mike Johnson has a little more oomph than we think, and that top-line spending agreement might be passed without more drama. These are ifs and buts but potentially. Okay, Michigan will take on Washington in the college football championship tonight. Who you got? I, I got, it's funny to me because this is the Waste Management Bowl. It's W Washington versus M Michigan. So that's all I can think about. I'm taking Michigan though. Right, we got to stand by. Morning Brew is started yep. by Michigan people and I'm just a Big Ten lifer. So got to get the Big Ten winning. Uh, National Milk Day is on Thursday. How many of you knew that? 1%? 2%. Fair enough. Okay, Ariana Grande will release a long-awaited new single on Friday called Yes And. It's part of her new album, and it, this is seven years in the making. Is it an improv album? Yes. And, Neil, I would love to hear that album. Okay, before Toby makes any other terrible jokes, we have to wrap it up there. Hope you all have a wonderful start to the week. As always, feel free to drop a line at our email, morningbrewdaily at morningbrew.com. Let's roll the credits. Emily Milliron is our editor and producer. Samantha Velas and Raymond Liu are associate producers. Yuchenawa Ogu is our technical director. Billy Menino is on audio. Congrats on your Golden Globe hair and makeup. Devin Emery is our chief content officer, and our show is a production of Morning Brew. Great show today, Neil. Let's run it back tomorrow. Tomorrow.